I'm a massive fan of the reality show RuPaul's Drag Race. It's brought drag queens into the mainstream and introduced them to a lot of people who otherwise might not have even known about them. In today's episode of Meet Your Maker, while I'm working on some new ones, I wanted to play you a story I made a few years ago. It's about drag queens and kings, but it doesn't take place in a TV studio or on a reality show. It takes place where most drag happens, in a bar. Advice to girls, if you want large, voluminous hair, hold your head upside down and put hairspray in it and then flip it back and you get huge hair. That's Chris Rowan. My name is Chris Rowan and I am the chief ballerina with the Marininsky State Ballet. Well, not quite. No, my name is Chris Rowan and I work as a giant red-headed drag queen called Bunny. We're in Chris's apartment in Dublin. And there's photos of Bette Midler on the wall and dozens of Muppet cushions and teddies on the couch. And at the moment, Chris is... At the moment, Mr. Microphone, I'm currently painting my face like a stolen car trying to escape across the Russian border. And this is called a brush. You can hear it. Listen to the bristles. Chris is transforming himself into Bunny because tonight, like every Friday night in Panty Bar, a gay bar in Dublin, Bunny is hosting The Hutch. The Hutch is... It's, it's hard to describe. It's basically a glorified open mic night. I let anybody perform within reason and I never ask them what they're going to do. That is the two rules that I have. And so you can either get it that it's a lot of creative people coming up with really genius ideas or it can be absolutely diabolically awkward to watch. But... Because it's that free space, they come up with something really fun and new and different, and then people go, wow. So every so often, you can get something that people will be talking to you about for months afterwards, going, do you remember when Randall Jones did that? Do you remember when Lucy Reinhardt did that? And you're going, yeah, I remember it. I was there. And that's what this programme is all about. Being there. Belonging. Let's do this thing. And we don't have far to go, actually. The handy thing about Chris's apartment is that it's right above Panty Bar. Tonight's performers at the Hutch all have regular day jobs. They just do it for fun. So from an assistant lecturer in photography to a solicitor in corporate law, we're going to find out what they do here and why. I'm so late. I'm not normally this late. Right, I'm going to go in. It all takes place in the basement of Panty Bar, with a small stage and a big crowd. And when the music starts, it's showtime. We're about to spend a night at the Hutch. otherwise known as the Hutch. Let me explain. The Hutch, if you've never been to it before, because I can smell some new people, <laughs> is sort of an open mic night for the gay scene, which is a really bad idea to start with. <laughs> you did a very clever thing there. You thought that by ducking, I wouldn't notice you. But the reason that I noticed you was because you were wearing a dead woman's anorak. 
and now to get on with the pantomime. We need to check in with Jesus. And to check in with Jesus, we need the religious voice of our leader. There's a few people over there that get what's coming next. For the rest of you, you may have never seen this person before. I have to warn you, do not judge on appearances alone. Although this person looks something like what would happen if Tim Burton got to direct Sesame Street. They're really just a very ordinary man. Please welcome the cultural attaché to the Cordes and James and style consultant to both Dana and Dana International. The one, the only, the award-breaking, direct from a sell-out run of two nights in Smock Alley Theatre. Which means he's legitimate. The one and only smiling Kevin. My name is Kieran. Kieran O'Keefe. Kieran O'Keefe teaches photography and performance in the Dunleary Institute of Art, Design and Technology. But about every three weeks, he surfaces at the hutch as his alter ego, Smiling Canker. I have a character called Smiling Canker, which is kind of, I guess, is alternative performance. Smiling Canker is not only one of my favourite performers. Smiling Canker, in general, is one of my favourite people. Everybody should know a Smiling Canker. And it's he, not a she. People get dragged confused. They think that we're all she's. Smiling Kanker is a normal homosexual gentleman and he is just trying to get along in the world. So this week my psychotherapist, Ms. Dimpna Duddy, who is, yes, 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 bless you. She is such a lovely, lovely woman. She's just so kind, she's so considerate, and she's so non-judgmental. I swear to God, I could go in to tell her any of my most ribald, sophisticated sexual fantasies, and she just not very pleasantly. Very disturbed. In the mid-80s, Kieran moved to New York and studied for three years in the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. I came back to Ireland, did professional theatre for about three or four years, got really bored stiff, so just parked all that shelved it all. I think a lot of it was, um, this one is going to sound really pompous and um, arrogant, I think. Uh, when you're in the States, they have a very different approach to theatre. It's kind of, it's um, method-based. Olivier is a classic English actor. De Niro is a classic American actor. And if you put the two of them on a stage in a role, in a, in a play rather, and somebody shouts up at them, Olivier will answer back and say, you know, you're a dickhead, get lost. And De Niro will wonder where the voice came from. So I was one of these people who would always wonder where the voice came from. So when suddenly you're working with a whole load of people who don't work that way, you just come across as an absolute whatever put in bad word there and so I just kind of yeah I think I wore people out in fact I remember by the very end when I did quit and um, one of my friends said to me you know it's really interesting you were an absolute bastard as an actor but you're fine now <laughs> anyway so then Kieran studied fine arts became a lecturer Smiling Canker didn't surface until 2009 when he decided to enter Alternative Miss Ireland. I suppose like a lot of people on the scene always had this idea of let's go in for Alternative Miss Ireland and everybody would have kind of their silly names like um, Lana Bus and Brass Strap and all this sort of stuff. And I had said, yeah, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And eventually it was coming up to my 47th birthday. And one of my friends said, you know, you're getting really old here and this is the end of your opportunity, you're going to have to do something. So I said, okay, let's have a go at it. So put in um, a video application, just on the laugh of it, like literally two of us sat down, myself and my friend Paul, Paul Connell, we sat down um, one evening 
and we just said we just do it for a laugh and that's when the character appeared hello he set up his video and I says okay what do we do he says I don't know start speaking or something so I start speaking this bizarre voice my name is Smiling Kanker and the next thing was Smiling Kanker was born like literally on I say in the space of two minutes the whole thing appeared and was invented this is my application to be part of the wondrous wondrous show that is Alternative Miss Ireland so fast forward to the night itself I teach, I actually teach performance in IADT out in Dunleary. So from the performance workshops, there was about five or six of the students came in to do it with me. And we just had the biggest laugh. Like, we were just like, literally like six or seven kids. Standing centre stage in a packed Olympia theatre, wearing a backless sequined purple dress and a pink feather boa, Smiling Canker conducts his choir into a rendition of Be Not Afraid. One of my other strings in my bows years ago, I was in the local folk choir. The only song I knew was Be Not Afraid, because when I was in the choir, I was when I always sang at funerals, and Be Not Afraid is a funeral song. So I sang it just thinking, okay, it's the only song I know. And I remember at the time, the reaction was everybody felt that um, I was on this critical role of the Catholic Church and religion. Not at all. I mean, I actually just think it's just, it's a great song. And the thing that's nice is everybody else always thinks it's a great song, because you're standing at the Olympia stage with whatever, I know. 1,000, 1,200 people and everybody's singing along with you and go, this is brilliant. I suppose the one thing was that because, not that I didn't care because I was enjoying myself, but it didn't really matter to me whether I won. To me, the whole thing was, this is great fun, isn't it? Look, I finally went in for AMI. But then... In a sense, I suppose, in a sense, it almost felt a little bit um, unfair because I'd gone in with such a light-hearted attitude and suddenly I go, wow, okay, I've won. And it's a brilliant thing to win and it's a really nice thing to win. It's funny, somebody asked me recently, what are the 10 things I'm most proud of in my life? And um, one of them was the AMI. It just felt like a really big, big privilege. I don't see it as drag, I see it as alternative performance in the sense that um, I think Canker doesn't deal with notions of gender, doesn't address anything like that. Whereas it's funny, I was watching Veda last night in the George and like Veda is amazing, it's just, she is stunning in terms of everything, her, the way she holds the stage, the way she uses the stage, the innovative um, costume, I just couldn't do that, it just, it would be totally beyond me. So I was thinking, okay, so drag, I would feel a total cheat and I couldn't do it that well. So I kind of felt it might be a good opportunity to address things that I would have addressed in my art practice, which kind of for me is notions of um, we ourselves alone, you have to be optimistic in the midst of chaos. That's basically it. So what I try to do each week is try to do, I do do something new. I don't like to repeat. So with the monologues, I kind of come up with something that I hope people will associate with that's slightly absurd but it usually addresses notions of um, loneliness or the need to be liked or loved or wanted so anyway, I say, what you need to do is you, say, you need to address this bad memory 
I wanted to go to a place where everybody loves you and everybody likes you. So, unfortunately, the toilet and bazaars is closed. Thank you. People do come up afterwards and say, you know, um, that's surprisingly touching. There was one person actually came up to me once and said, um, which I think was the best thing I ever, I ever heard. She said, you know, I didn't think it was funny. I thought that was really sad. I went, perfect. It's meant to be. by Stevie Wonder. That was the one and only Smiling Canker, ladies and gentlemen. Should we get on with the show? Is there anybody that's seen Beetlejuice before? I love Beetlejuice, but you can't say it thrice, so I've said it for the last time. From the movie Eatlejuice. Please welcome Julian Matthews. My name is Anna McCarthy and my character's name is Julian Mandrews. Anna is a qualified solicitor. She's worked in corporate law. Tonight, however, she's taking to the stage as a drag king. Gosh, trying to define what a drag king is. Um, I suppose it's kind of, I guess, what many people might think... Uh, would be the opposite of what a drag queen is so it's, it's usually more often than not a gay girl who basically dresses up as a guy and does an act Dressing up as a guy involves doing pretty much the opposite of what Chris does to become Bunny I would slick my hair back uh, which I, I don't wear it like that normally and I would wear base makeup just for the lights, some eyeliner uh, then there's the facial hair so it involves you know kind of five o'clock shadowing, thickening of the eyebrows, make them look more masculine then I have um, facial hair that's put on with spirit gum so I've got a little goatee and then the clothes, I suppose you know I've got Julian's wardrobe is ever increasing so I think most drags don't tend to wear you know their drag clothes as their day clothes so Julian has his own wardrobe so uh, I have a lot of suits some of them sparkly some of them not some of them dapper and uh, I think when I when I get you know my my, my shoes on and my, my, my jacket on or my tie or my bow tie on then then I kind of feel like I can arch the eyebrow and Julian comes out <laughs> Anna was a drama school kid, performing since she was six or seven. I did a couple of things in college and then kind of over the last couple of years, I suppose I've been exposed to more kind of queer cabaret and more like drag shows and kind of got more interested in kind of, I suppose, I suppose queer politics in a way, but also the kind of, I suppose, how like, like the politics of art and kind of fusing the two. So I suppose with my own background, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'd love to kind of kind of do that or like a number of years ago I saw this um this drag king troupe called the Shamcocks and I thought you know god yeah um that's interesting and I wasn't quite sure about it at the time but then I thought you know I I could do that and the characters that they were assuming they didn't they didn't maybe appeal to me like I thought they were great with what they were doing but the characters they assumed were very kind of like macho guys with a very kind of like misogynistic persona and I kind of thought oh this is a bit 
in my mind, I kind of thought, oh, you could do something else with this and something a bit more subversive, I think. And because I had a, a background in musicals, love camp culture, and I'm a big Eurovision anorak, um, you know, a lot of my friends would say, oh, you're a bit like a gay guy trapped in a girl's body. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So my character then, when I was thinking of a character, what would my character be? I thought, well, it's it's got to be a gay guy. And so, so that's where Julian came from. <laughs> Anna volunteers for several LGBT rights organisations and politics frequently features in her performance. As Bunny says, drag kings, there's always a message. <laughs> and in my case, yeah, there's, there always seems to be a message for some reason. Um, you know, whether it's, I suppose, something about LGBT politics or comment on gender or whatever, there's always, well, most times there's a message in there. Sometimes it's just plain old Eurovision. But, um, you know, if you're talking to people in, in bars and clubs about politics they they don't listen they don't want to listen why i wouldn't listen you know but if you're you're putting on a show and you make it kind of engaging and fun and people have a laugh then people are more inclined to go oh what's all that about and kind of maybe just maybe think about it a little more uh, he does everything from little shop of horrors from greece from different musicals but also can absolutely floor people and um, once a year i get him to come on stage and do a piece that is telling the whole history of the Stonewall riots from the drag queen's perspective. And the drag queen that threw the first brick at the Stonewall riots, which is what sparked the gay um, civil rights movement, the drag queen's name was Marsha B. Johnson. Very, very, very famous drag queen in our community. And she threw the first brick at Stonewall at the policemen that were hounding gay people and sparked a revolution that gives us our freedom today. And she tells this whole piece and people are like moved to tears by it and all the hair in the back of your neck stands on the end and then the next week we'll come along and do Linda Martin why me you know one of the groups Anna helps organize is LGBT noise and for the past couple of years they've organized the march for marriage welcome to the fourth annual march for marriage essentially it's a march from city hall up to the department of justice and there's thousands of people taking part every year um, asking for the government to um, open the right to marry to um, same-sex couples. Marriage equality could in fact be legislated for tomorrow if there was the political will to do so. A number of eminent lawyers have publicly stated that a referendum is not in fact necessary. Nowhere in our constitution is marriage defined as being between a man and a woman. So action could be taken to introduce marriage equality now. The biggest crowd I spoke in front of was about 8,000 people at Pride a couple of years ago. And that was kind of the first big kind of crowd, big speech that I had to give. And um, I suppose it's, um, it's not that daunting because you have like so many people who are supportive and you know, you're not telling them anything that they don't support. You're not saying anything controversial to them, really. Um, I think Ireland is a very, it's a very um, progressive place. I mean, obviously, compared to like 
lot of other countries worldwide. I mean, there's still seven countries in the world that um, have uh, the death penalty for um, homosexual acts. Uh, so, you know, I suppose it's not quite fair, I suppose, to compare ourselves. But, you know, you can live a quite an open and a free life here in Ireland. But at the same time, you know, it's not um, it's not a utopia. You know, we still have high levels of homophobic and transphobic bullying in our schools. We have employees who are afraid to be out in the workplace because they're afraid of losing their job. Um, you know, you have uh, trans people still don't have their gender recognised legally. So, you know, there's still human rights issues that are outstanding that are being worked on. But certainly... Um, we're 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 up we're up there with with um i suppose the progressive western nations um but we're i suppose we can't hold ourselves up as an ideal quite yet we must be equal and we must be equal now That leaves us with our hostess, Bunny. Well, Chris. He first began performing in drag as a teenager in Belfast. Another friend of mine invited me to come down and do, you know, like one number at a show there. And I did that. And within a few weeks, I was doing one number a week and selling bingo tickets at their bingo show. And then I just became part of the show and just sort of drifted into it. And I was very, very young. I want to say how young, because I was too young to be working there. I look like quite a fabulous lesbian from the 50s, don't I? I'll take that any day. I'll take quite fabulous lesbian from the 50s. Imagine if I went... The funny side of it is that out of drag, I'm not exactly the type of person that you would expect to be a drag queen. I don't think I look like the type of person that you'd expect to be a drag queen. Um, Because, you know, I had a military school education and was a little rugby player and all of that. But... Everybody has two sides, and I think of it in a... It's very, very pretentious, but I honestly do think about it this way, of all of that stuff that people made fun of you for, all the effeminacy and everything, drag performers and queer performers, they take that side of their personality and they sort of celebrate it, and they turn it into something that they can use, and they take everything that was negatively talked about and they turn it into a big, giant positive. And I think that there's something really sort of caterpillar to butterfly about that. And I think that they're sort of the healthiest people because they're not trying to shut it away and hide it and repress it. On the gay scene, you hear a lot of the words straight acting. And it's by people that just want to appear normal. And you go, screw being normal. I'm way better than somebody who's normal. I'm unique. And you feel like saying to these people, and you're unique as well. I just have the balls to be unique. Chris looks so different out of drag that it's hard to imagine him going into a boutique and picking out clothes for Bunny's wardrobe. It's like, do you know that uh, the moment in Pretty Woman where Julie Roberts goes into the boutique and they're looking at her and they're judging her and she's like, big mistake, big, huge. Because if you know how much drag queens spend on clothes, they should be worshipping you the second you come into the store because you're going to buy the most expensive stuff they have. Because you need it to be show ready. You don't want to look like daytime or realness girl. You want to look like a giant 
crystal-encrusted traveling caravan at some gypsy wedding. You want to look that over the top. Someone just got thrown out of the union of Catholic mothers there. So. Some performers stay in character the whole time. As for Chris... As we're speaking right now, I am in full show mode. I got, I got into full, full costume and makeup, and I'm corseted down to 14 inches, isn't it? I, I can feel the pain. Um, just, just to speak to you, because you, know, you can get the spirit of what I'm wearing through the wireless. Hell to the no. It is a job. It's a fun job, but it's a job. You're in there with a bunch of people that are, you know, strapping down their boobs or tucking away various bits of appendages, putting on wigs, and and you look around and you go, this is the strangest job in the planet. Chris's drag career took off when he won a competition to work in Panty Bar with renowned Dublin drag queen Panty. I learned so much and stole so much from her, you know, and there was a while when I was starting out that I just looked like Panty and then started to make stuff my own. So as Bunny, Chris began performing at the Panty Show and somewhere along the line, the idea for a night of alternative performers cropped up. There wasn't a place for people to perform and there was all of these performers that were very frustrated that the only place that they had to perform was maybe the Alternative Miss Ireland competition once a year. They weren't getting guest act spots here and there because it was really just the established people. But there was a lot of frustrated people that wanted to try out performance of some kind, whether it be stand-up or drag or singing or dance or whatever it was, or burlesque, um, and they weren't getting a place to do it. So I thought, well, let's set up a proper gay or queer open mic night where they can do whatever they want. This is, uh, this is just one of those songs that when you're going through a hard time and you're trying to find a way to tell somebody exactly how you feel and you can't express the words, you find that one song that just says it all. This is that song, Sheen, it's track nine. I'll leave you with a good night and God bless each and every one of you on this international night of culture. It's exactly like the Muppet Show backstage. It is. Uh, <laughs> all you need is animal and, you know, some symbols. So, yeah, I think it is, it's a really unique experience. It's a unique venue. It's a unique performance space, definitely. But I, I don't see a difference at all, you know, between the alter egos, um, which is something I kind of... I would envy about people like um, Julian and... Bunny, there is such, I think, a divide between the two in that it's quite a surprise. I mean, you know yourself when you meet um, Anna or you meet Chris outside, like, they're radically different from the characters. You know, whereas I don't think I'm that radically different from Canker in my mind. I wish I was, but there you go. I've seen so much good come out of it. And that sounds so stupid, but I really have seen so much good come out of it. There have been so many people that have come into my life that by performing and by being part of the scene and being able to introduce them to people, I've been able to really see them blossom as people, not just as performers, but as people. And so there's, there's a really good side to it and um, I enjoy it. Somebody call an ambulance. Can't you see something's wrong?
Meet Your Maker is produced by me, Liam Gerrity. This episode was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Special thanks to Chris Rowan, Anna McCarthy Adams, and Kieran O'Keefe. Unfortunately, Bunny's Hutch is no more, but you'll still find Bunny, Julian Mandrews, and Smiling Canker performing around Dublin. And some good news, since this was recorded a few years ago, Ireland became the first country to legalise marriage equality by popular vote. Okay, that's it. See you in two weeks.